If you would go ahead and open up your copy of Scripture to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32 will be our reading for today, also the topic of the message. Psalm chapter 32, if you would follow along as I read. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let anyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with, uh, with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Excellent singing this morning. Um, the songs just go perfectly with the message this morning, so thank you to Pastor Nate for choosing those and allowing God to lead in his life in that way. I do want to introduce a addition to our church family, and uh, that is Emsley Barber. Um, Tim and Alyssa were able to, just this past week, adopt a little girl, and uh, so we'll congratulate them. Let's She's sleeping, so let's quietly give her a, them a round of applause. Okay, it doesn't have to be that quiet. That was a little weak, but Psalm 32. Uh, turn there if you are not already there. Psalm 32. This is uh, another psalm that we're diving into, and this is another tough one. There have been some tough psalms. Some of you have come to me and said that you feel like we're, I'm specifically targeting you. I'm not. Uh, I think I'm, uh, that the word is targeting us. Um, these have been some, some challenging psalms, and this one is as well. Uh, and so before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. God, we are thankful for your word. God, I pray that you'll help us just to be humble enough to listen and to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to have courage to do the right thing. Uh, be with me, Lord, um, guide my words, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Imagine this scenario, if you will. You have been held in custody without bail on a murder charge. The courtroom battle has waged on for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, testimony from both sides and it's drained on your energy and, and weighed upon you night and day. Finally, the big moment arrives. With your hands restrained, you're led into the courtroom. 
The jury, one by one, files into their box and has a seat. They've been deliberating for days. The courtroom falls silent as the judge finally makes his way in and he, he calls the court into order. And he looks at the foreman of the jury and he says, Mr. Foreman, do you have a verdict? Your heart is pounding, your mouth is dry, your, your body is shaking. The rest of your life depends on the words of this one individual. The foreman rises to his feet and he says, Your Honor, the jury finds the defendant not guilty. Not guilty. The flood of emotion rushes over you and tears of joy well up in your eyes. Not guilty. As if a weight has dropped from your shoulders. The bailiff comes and unlocks your, the handcuffs off of your hands and you hear the judge say, you are free to go. Freedom from condemnation. Life suddenly takes on a new meaning to you. You are free from confinement, free from constant pressure of the charges against you, free to begin a new life. Free. Can you imagine how that feels? Can you imagine how that would feel in that moment? I can. And I hope everyone in here can as well. Every believer ought to know what that feels like to be free from condemnation. David knew what it felt like when he wrote this psalm. We're not 100% sure where this, why this psalm was written. It could have been that it was another psalm that rose out of David's sin with Bathsheba, or it could have been some other incident. But it shows us that he knew what it meant to be, first of all, under the condemning, uh, under the condemning eye of God. But he also knew the joy and the relief of experiencing God's forgiveness. And David pours out his heart, but at the same time instructs us. We know he's instructing us because if you look at the, the title of this, it's a, uh, it's a mass kill, which is an instruction. It's a teaching, and, and so he's teaching us the experience that he went through to understand the blessing of God's forgiveness. And we see flowing out of a, a great anguish of David's heart, the unloading of guilt and the blessing of forgiveness. I want to take a few moments this morning before we go into a time of communion where we, we celebrate our forgiveness. And I want to talk about uh, what does forgiveness mean. First of all, the blessing of forgiveness is seen as we feel the burden of guilt. What has happened to guilt in our world? I think guilt has become a, a somewhat of a forgotten emotion in our, in our day. Let me explain what I mean. Rather than feel guilty when we sin, we often explain away our actions and we, we justify it for some reason or other. I remember a few years ago, there was a, there was a well-known uh, preacher who uh, had to resign uh, for, for sin reasons, and he explained it to his congregation this way. He said, along the way, I have stepped over the line of acceptable behavior with some members of the congregation. 
And then going on, trying to explain more of that, he, says, he said this, I tried on my own to face unspecified childhood issues and have been involved in years of denial and, and faulty coping techniques. You ask the question, what did he actually just say there? Nothing. Imagine if David, in this passage and that, that Pastor Will read just a moment ago, in verses 1 and 2, imagine if he, if he said it this way, Blessed is the one whose unspecified childhood issues are forgiven, and whose uh, denial and faulty coping techniques are covered. You'd be like, David, what are you saying? How blessed is the man to whom God does not impute stepping over the line. As if it's a, just a little thing. I just took a little step and then I came back and realized that was wrong and I shouldn't do that again. No, David knew that he had sinned deeply and there was a tremendous amount of guilt weighing on David. I mean, just, just look at how it affected him physically. Look at verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For night and day, my hand was, or your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Look over in Psalm, if you have your Bible there, look over in Psalm 38. We see a similar thing David said in Psalm 38. Really, much of Psalm 38, but I want to focus in on verse 3. He says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation, because of your wrath. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. David understood and he appreciated the idea that there was a heavy guilt over him and and that caused him to even more appreciate the, the forgiveness of God. I believe those who, who appreciate the most the gift of God's forgiveness are those who have felt most deeply their own sins. The great um, British preacher Charles Spurgeon talked about in his autobiography about how he spent five years when he was in his younger years just being tormented and feeling this intense guilt in his life, so much so that it affected every aspect of his life. He had a whole chapter in his autobiography talking about those five dark years, and here's an excerpt from that. Listen to what he said. It actually sounds a lot about like what David is saying. Charles Spurgeon said this, Day and night God's hand was heavy upon me. I hungered for deliverance, for my soul fainted within me. I feared lest the very skies should fall upon me and crush my guilty soul. God's law had laid hold upon me and was showing me my sin. If I slept at night, all I dreamed about was a bottomless pit. And when I woke in the morning, I felt the misery of that which I dreamed. Up to God's house I went, I sang, but my song was just a sigh. To my chamber I retired, and there with tears and groans I offered up my prayer without a hope and without a refuge, for God's law was flogging me as with a whip so that I shook and quivered with pain and anguish, for I was exceedingly sorrowful of my sins. The guilt. Has there been a time in your life when you have felt that incredible burden of guilt? Until we feel that burden of guilt, I, can't, I don't think we can truly say what David said in verse, the first verse there. Uh, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. I don't think we can truly understand what that means. And David understood what that meant. That, that burden of guilt should drive us to seek the, the blessing of forgiveness. Maybe there's some in here this morning 
whether believers or non-believers, that are under a huge um, torment or burden of guilt. You have some sin that maybe no one else knows about. Although you're trying to put on a good front, deep down inside, you are terribly troubled. Don't just shrug it off. Don't try to explain it away like so uh, many do today, but let it drive you to the cross where you will begin to learn about God's uh, uh, abounding love and mercy. Every song that we sang this morning pointed towards this text and, and, and in a great way, and it talked about all those things. And, and all, the last one, all I have is Christ. There's this burden of sin in my life, and I'm going to let it go because all that really matters in my life is Christ. The blessing of forgiveness is seen as we feel the burden of guilt. Do you, have you ever felt that burden of guilt? Do you feel it right now? But the second thing I want to look at is the blessings of God's forgiveness are immense. We start through and look at verses 1 and 2. And verse, uh, chapter, excuse me, Psalm 32 begins the same way that Psalm 1 does with the word blessed. Uh, we know well enough, if you've been in church long enough, you know that word blessed means happiness. What's interesting is in the Hebrew, in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 1, it's, it's a plural form of the word. And so uh, it would be better rendered as this. And we, instead of saying happy is the man, it would say, oh, the happinesses. And I don't know if that's an exact word, but the idea is it's a plural form. It's not just one blessing. It's not just one happiness. It's just this idea of this overflow of happinesses. Uh, the Living Bible puts it this way. What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What reliefs for those who have confessed their sin and God has cleared their record. It's the idea of this abundance of blessing. But I think so often as believers, what happens is, is we don't really feel that guilt. And so because we don't feel that guilt, we don't feel the, the wonder of God's forgiveness in our life. Maybe you've been saved for a very long time and you've lost the wonder of God's forgiveness. I've shared my personal testimony before, but uh, I, I was saved at a young age, four years old. And as I grew up, I, was, I, I struggled because, and I say I struggled, I, I didn't think I did. But I, I, was, I was, for the most part, I was the good kid. I was the kid that, you know, we have, we have good kids in our church. I was that kid, you know. People would see him, oh, what a nice kid. You, you know, you do this and you do that. And I was involved in my church and I was involved in this. And, and I did all the things right. And it wasn't that I wasn't a Christian. It was just that I felt like God's forgiveness wasn't really that valuable to me because I didn't really do that much. You know what I mean? I'm sure many of you feel the same way at some point in your life. And, and growing up, that's the way I was. And, and I went off to Bible college because I was a good guy. And I went off to Bible college and, and I was training to be in the ministry. And, and all the long, I was just kind of never really felt this incredible unloading of uh, burden that this forgiveness is, is so incredible that God has given me. Because I felt I just was good enough. Now, I truly believe I was saved as a young man, but I believe what happened my freshman year of college is this. I believe I started to see my pride. That I thought that the reason that all these good things were happening in my life was because of me. 
And, and God had to show me that, man, I was an arrogant person. And I remember as a freshman year, and I, I, I don't need to go into detail, but there was event after event, event that happened in my life to kind of show me, you know what, you're not all that. You're, you're not as special as you think you are. And it drove me to a point of humility, humility before God. And when I got to that point of humility before God, suddenly, for the first time in my life, I think I really experienced and understood the forgiveness of God, and it broke me. That I did not deserve God's forgiveness. And I remember one night specifically, my freshman year, and I, I was laying in my bed, and you can ask my wife, I, I hit the pillow and I'm asleep. That's who I am. And so if I stay up for more than five minutes, there's something wrong, okay? If I'm awake for more than five minutes. And I remember in college, laying in my bed for hours, and sitting there thinking, God, what is going on in my life? And finally, I, I left my dorm room, and I went out into the hallway, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, I have just been completely arrogant to think that somehow I deserved forgiveness from you. God used that time in my life to, to really point out the, the incredible blessings of his forgiveness to me. Let me ask you this question. Have you felt the blessing of God's forgiveness? We see listed, I'm just going to list, there, there are many blessings, there are many happinesses that you can experience, but I'm going to look at four of them. First of all, the blessing of a pure conscience. The blessing of a pure conscience. Um, this this um, first two verses are interesting. There, there are seven words that I want to look at quickly. Uh, four of them, four Hebrew words that deal with sin, and then three Hebrew words that deal with forgiveness. So let's look at, first of all, the words that deal with sin. And in my Bible, if you can do this, I underline these words, and I, I had a highlighter, so I highlighted the words for forgiveness, because those ones matter more. But look, look at them, first of all. The first one, blessed is the person whose transgression is forgiven. What is transgression? Transgression is a, a rebellion. It's a refusal to submit to the rightful authority of God. God has certain uh, limits uh, for human behavior, things that we should and shouldn't do. We see those in the Ten Commandments. But as we read in Romans, Romans a few moments ago, uh, prior to the Ten Commandments, it doesn't mean there was no law. It was just uh, it was, it was seen differently. But there's still law built inside of of us and, and so God gave to us, here's, here's the limits of human behavior, and if you go beyond that, those limits, then you have transgressed the law. And so transgression is anything to, to go against God. It's a crime against God. I, 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 we mentioned the, the illustration earlier, murder. It's a crime against God's law. That's a transgression. You see that there. But the second one is sin. If you look in the next part there, it says, whose sin is covered. Now, sin is a little different. Sin is missing the mark. There's a standard set by God of holiness, and you know what? We always fall short in everything we do. Okay, uh, I kind of view it this way. Transgression looks at the violation of known sin, where sin looks at our shortcoming. I'm not going to arrive. No matter what I do, I'm not going to arrive. So there's transgression, there's sin. Look at the third one, verse 3. Uh, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Iniquity is a word that means twisted or bent. It's the idea of this. It's the, the, the nuances there of perverting that which is right. 
We've all done that. We all have done things before where we, we go and we're doing something in our Christian life, but it's not for the right reason. Our motivation is wrong. Our attitude is wrong. And what we've done is now we've now perverted right. We've twisted it. That's an iniquity. He finishes that verse and he says, And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Deceit is deliberate cover-up, falsehood, hypocrisy, lies. There's many times that we do that, don't we? You're having a day where it's not a good day. It's a nasty day, and yet we put on fronts that we're, hey, everything's okay. It's deceit. Those words for sin, they, they, it's something that <clears throat> every single person in this room is guilty of. And so because of that, you're guilty before God. You stand before the judge of heaven, and the judge of heaven says, you are guilty. But then David gets into these words of forgiveness that show us how we can have a clear conscience before God. Look at these three words. First of all, in verse 1, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That word forgiven is an interesting word. It's the word to be carried off, to, be taken, to have a burden taken away. Our sin is a burden which God puts on us and allows to be on us, and then it's a burden which God takes away at salvation. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the term scapegoat? Anyone know what that is? Okay, scapegoat, we understand it. It's a word we use today. It's a word that's used by many people. I don't think most people understand the true origin, uh, origination of the word scapegoat. Okay, scapegoat is someone who takes the blame so everyone else goes free. And oftentimes the one who takes the blame is innocent. He's without, uh, he's without fault, but yet he takes the blame on himself. That is a scapegoat. Well, the term actually comes from the Hebrew uh, sacrificial system. The high priest would, would, take a, would select a goat, and he would take that goat, and he would lay his hands on that goat, and then by putting his hands on that goat, he would confess the sins of all the people of Israel, and thereby, in a ceremonial fashion, it wasn't actually taking place, but in a ceremonial fashion, he was putting the sins of the people completely onto the goats, removing them, and then they would take that animal and they would send it out into the wilderness as a picture that God carries our sin away from us. And so this idea of forgiveness is this, that God comes and through Jesus Christ, he takes your sin and he removes it and he says, it's no longer in your life. I'm taking it as far away as I can, as the Bible says, from the east to the west. That's how far he removes our sin from us. Now, this sacrificial system where we get this scapegoat uh, was not the end all of what God was going to do. It was just a, it was, it was to point ahead to Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ became the perfect and final scapegoat for our sin. So when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he was dying for our sin, every single sin of mankind was placed upon him. And he was willing to carry it away. Is that anything that I did? Is it anything that you did? No, it was all about Jesus Christ. Here, here's the crazy part is the scapegoat, uh, he didn't have a choice in the matter. Yet Jesus Christ did. 
He took all of your transgression. He took all of your iniquity. He took all of your sin. He took all of your deceit. Every bit of it was placed upon his perfect, innocent being. And he died. And by dying, he was able to take all our sins away. That is the idea of forgiven. David goes on, he talks about another one, verse uh, 1, he says, whose sin is covered. Whose sin is covered. The idea there is out of sight. God puts our sin out of his sight, which means he will never bring it up again as a matter of judgment. Isn't that incredible? I will not stand in front of God and God look down and say, hey, here's a list of sins you did. No, because I have been forgiven. My sins have been covered. I have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so no longer uh, am I going to give an account of that. Not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. That is, that is a freeing thing. It goes on in the next one in verse 2. He says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts. No, that's a... Uh, Hebrew word that comes into two words here, but counts no iniquity. The idea there is it's not charged to our account. We see a similar idea in Genesis when when, uh, God is talking about Abraham, and it says Abraham believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. Because of his faith, it counted to him. It was placed on his account. Well, here it's the other way around. It's saying this, that there is no sin because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. There is no sin that is on your account. It's free. Uh, Paul adds to that in Romans when he talks about that it, it comes not by works that that sin is removed, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine, if you will, if I, I don't know how you do this, but if I had ran up a million dollar bill at a department store, charge card, million dollars, and I went in to pay the bill and I had 10 bucks in my pocket. There's no way I could pay that debt. But I go in to pay the bill and I find out that the store tells me that the card has actually been wiped away of the debt because uh, someone who came in, a billionaire, came in and he paid my debt willingly. That's what God did for us through Jesus Christ. You owed, I owed, we owed an unpayable debt. There was no way we were going to meet it. And yet, God credited our account as paid in full. Not only that, here's, here's where it even gets more amazing. And the New Testament talks about this. Not only did God look and say, okay, here's your, your, your account, and it's just, it's just filled with sin. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and your faith in him, I am going to wipe away all that sin. But then the Bible tells us then God takes the righteousness of Christ, his perfection, his, all, all the good deeds, and he, and he puts those on our account. So when God the Father looks at my account, he does not look and see the, the hideous sin that I've done in my life. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That is so undeserved. And it should cause us to remind ourselves of the blessing of of forgiveness. 
Martin Luther said this, Sin has two places where it may be. Either it may be with you where it lies upon your neck or upon Christ, the Lamb of God. If now it lies upon your neck, you are lost and hopeless. If, however, it lies upon Christ, you are free and you are saved. If the sin is upon Christ, you enjoy the blessings of a clear conscience. Now, we do have to continue to make uh, right, day by day, sin that comes into our life. But on an on a, on a eternal condition, we are free from all of that sin. Second thing I want to look at is the blessing of having God as your hiding place. We continue on, and it says in, I'm going to skip down to verse 6. Verse 6, it says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely, in a rush of great waters, they shall not uh, be reached. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. This same man who in verse 4 is talking about how God, is, his hand is heavy upon him and my strength is dried up because of you, God, and I am feeling this burden and this weight of sin now. Suddenly he comes to God in verse 7, he says, you're my hiding place. See, that's, that's the result of forgiveness. In verse 4, he's, he's feeling that guilt and he's feeling that pain and he's feeling that sin in his life. In verse 7, he's feeling forgiveness and he's saying, now, God, you are my hiding place. You are my protector. You're my refuge. Look at verse 6. It says something interesting there. It says, surely the rush of great waters. That, that, that term, rush of great waters, is seen in other places in Scripture, and it's a reference to the judgment of God. And there, what David is saying is the judgment of God cannot get me. It, it can't. It comes after me, but it says there, it shall not reach me. Why? Because of the forgiveness of, of God in his life. The man who has experienced God's forgiveness need not fear God's judgment. I think oftentimes we, we are so just distraught by the judgment of God. And when we're distraught by the judgment of God in our own life, I think if you are a believer, what you're missing out on is, is that God forgave you. Now, God does discipline his children. That's, that's a, a different idea, that God does discipline his children, but yet the, the wrath of God's judgment is not reserved for you. What a blessing. Instead of having to run from God, we can now run to God and know that we are safe. We go on, the third blessing we see there is the blessing of God in instruction. We see in verses 8 and 9, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Now, some have kind of looked at this, this verse and kind of struggled with what it's saying. Because if you look previously in verses 1 through 7, is all David speaking to God. And he's talking to God and talking about God and talking about forgiveness and talking about his sin and his guilt and all this. And suddenly in verse uh, 6, he says, I will instruct you. And so some people believe that David, it's referring there to David instructing his readers. I, I don't believe that that's the, the idea here. I prefer to think that this is a switch here. And now David is relaying to us uh, what God is doing for him. And, and God is speaking to him. How, how do we know that? How do I believe that? Because in the middle of verse 8, it says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. It's the idea of the constant eye of God upon us. And, and David, David's not saying that to his readers. Okay, He's not saying to his readers, I'm watching you constantly. 
So I believe this is God then speaking to David and saying, David, I will teach you. See, now, now that you're forgiven, now that you have a clear conscience, now that you're living without this burden and weight of sin, what he says is now because of that, because you've been forgiven, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to guide you. But it only comes if you're sensitive to him. It only comes if you've been forgiven. If we confess our sins, then what happens is, is as we confess our sins, we begin to or continue to grow in sensitivity to the word of God, and he continues to point out more. I, I know I've felt that in my life as times when, man, um, God is just really pouring in my life, and I start being more acutely aware of other sins that t- previously I never saw. And that... And God reminds me of those. David is seeing here, he said, you continue to teach me these things. But oftentimes, we are like verse 9, oftentimes we're like that stubborn horse or mule, aren't we? Man, God's trying to show us, but we're not getting it. We're not getting it. Um, I I remember a number of years ago being on vacation. uh, We were actually with the Longs, and we went horseback riding. And for some reason, I got a mule. I don't know. It was a big, I didn't even know mules were made this big. This thing was massive. And I think it was because me and my son were both on it. He was younger at the time, but we're riding that. And that thing was pretty stubborn. Um, it, just, it just went where, they, where everyone else went. And, but if I tried to get it to go somewhere else, it, wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with that. Sometimes we're that way, aren't we? God directs us and we start back. Rather than be sensitive to his spirit and, and develop this tender conscience where we listen, uh, we, we, we fight back. And God will use whatever means to direct the forgiven sinner into the path of righteousness so that we will do what is right before God. Is your conscience, though, growing tender towards God? Are you becoming more aware of the sin in your life? Uh, we're not pardoned and forgiven by God to go our own way. We're pardoned and forgiven by God to do what God wants us to do. The person who understands forgiveness by the grace of God will not continue in sin, but will grow in more sensitivity uh, to the ways that God has freely pardoned them to do. If you have been forgiven uh, with a whole litany of sins, then you should say this, you know, I've been forgiven of those. I don't want to do those anymore. I want to grow in my walk with God. And that is uh, why God instructs us. And that is a blessing. And sometimes that instruction does take the form of punishment. Sometimes it does take the form of, you know, being a stubborn mule. God's got to slap your side to get you to go the right way. But it's still a blessing of God. And fourthly, the blessing of God's joy. Look at verse 10. He says there, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Uh, when I worked at Christian Camp in Wyoming, the verse there, 11, was a song that we sang, and I won't do that because you'd run away. But uh, it was a song we sang almost weekly of the, this, Be glad in the Lord. Why? Because you're forgiven. And the joy that comes with it. See, David talks about the contrast there. Look what he says in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Man, the wicked sit there and then the sorrows come with it. But he says the righteous are surrounded by the unfailing love of God. Now, the righteous are not people who have never sinned. We're going to continue to sin. But rather, what he's saying here is it's the one who his heart is upright. 
His desire is to please God. His desire is to go the way of God, and yet, uh, and yet we falter. And, and like that stubborn mule, God has to instruct us and bring us back, but yet there's joy in knowing that we are forgiven. The judge of the universe has pounded his gavel, and he's explained, ex- proclaimed, you are not guilty. You're free from the weight of your sin. You're free from condemnation. You're free from bondage. Christ has already paid that penalty. John Calvin sums it up this way. He says, David here teaches us that the happiness of men consists only in the forgiveness of sin. For nothing can be more terrible than to have God as your enemy. Nor can he be uh, gracious to us in any other way more than by by pardoning our transgressions. Just the incredible blessing of forgiveness. And I just want to wrap up with this before we go into communion, is the blessing of God's forgiveness comes as we confess our sins. I purposely skipped verse uh, 5, or verse 4, excuse me. Uh, Excuse me, verse 5, I was looking in the wrong place there. Verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I, stand, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The turning point in this psalm, you see in the previous part, this, this transgression, this sin, this all of this, and, and his bones waxing away, and, and all of that. And the turning point is when David confesses his sin. And then in verse 6, he says to, to the reader, he says, therefore, uh, you offer that prayer to the Lord before he, you can't anymore, before he will not be found. Because I think there comes a time when if we refuse to turn to the Lord, he will harden you beyond remedy. The Proverbs talks about that. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. David says, I I confess my sin. But I want you to note that David confessed his sin, who? Directly to the Lord. He didn't didn't confess his sin to a priest. He didn't confess his sin even to the one who he wronged, at least not at this point. Sin is first and foremost against your Lord. So we must confess it to him. Two aspects under this. Confession is to acknowledge our sin to God. The Hebrew word here for acknowledge means to tell forth openly about one's sin. It's, it's, it's an open relationship with God. It's coming before God and saying, God, I want to unload and let you know of my sin before God. 1 John 1, nine talks about confessing our sin, and it adds a little nuance to it by, by saying it's the idea of agreeing with God. God, I know what I have done is wrong. I know it is sin, and I confess it before you. But in order to do that, there's three aspects. I don't have these in the handout in your bulletin, but there's three aspects. First of all, we must, we got to call sin, sin. We don't explain it away by uh, saying things like, uh, it's just my personality, or it's just my family upbringing, or it's just a weakness. Uh, I struggle, it's candidness here, I struggle sometimes with my temper, anger. Ask my kids. I'll tell you something. My dad, before me, struggled with his anger. My grandfather, my dad's dad, struggled with his anger. 
Now, I've never met my grandfather's father, but I'm guessing he struggled with anger. Does that excuse me? No. It doesn't. You know, sometimes we stop and we evaluate our sin and we, and we excuse it. Well, here's the problem. No, the problem is, is it's sin. We have to say, Lord, I sinned before you. You know, there are times as a dad where, where and, and I'll be honest with you again, you know, parenting has brought out my, my anger more than anything else in my life. And there's times where, man, something happens and I get angry and then I go, oh, Pete, you're an idiot. And I have to stop and I have to confess it to God. And I have to confess it to my kids, to my wife. But I sin. We have to call sin, sin. But secondly, we have to see sin as serious. The closer you get to the Lord and thus see your sin from his perspective, the more serious it will become. Your sin, that, that little sin that you like to excuse, that little sin that you like to push to the side, that sin is why Jesus Christ died in agony on the uh, in agony on the cross that sin causes damage to Christ to this church to to your family to you that sin is what is uh, has built a wall a barrier between you and God and and why you're struggling to to understand the bible and why you, you just don't have a passion for for God anymore it's that sin that sin is, is why your relationship with your spouse is struggling. That sin is why you, your relationships at work aren't good. It's sin. And it's serious. And confession, just like the sin is serious, confession is serious. And it must not be done in a flippant manner. And then thirdly, we see confessed sin as forgiven. The amazing part is, is that you can have your sin forgiven. The end of verse 5 there, he says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God forgave it. There is no sin too great to be forgiven. There is no in, uh, injustice that we have done that is too much beyond God's forgiveness. And then finally, confession accepts responsibility for our sins. Sin deceives us, and confession removes that deceit. We need to stop the cover-up attempt. We need to be open and honest before God, and open beyond honest before God, and accept the, the responsibility, meaning the willingness to, uh, to give that sin to Him, and, and, and admit it to God. And, then, and, then, and part of that is we then confess to others, those that we have offended. David does not address that. We see that addressed in other places in Scripture. Uh, in fact, this evening we're going to even be talking about that because we're going to talk about church discipline and we're going to talk about wrong relationships. And so uh, we're going to talk about that aspect of forgiveness. But uh, he, here he says we're supposed to confess it to God, but we're also supposed to confess to those we've offended. But when we don't, we continue to feel that guilt weigh upon us. Forgiveness and freedom from guilt, which Christ offers, changes lives. I heard a story about a pastor 
who went to visit a 14-year-old boy, and he was almost in a complete paralyzed state in a, in a psychiatric ward of a hospital. When, when the pastor came in, he noticed that the boy was laying on his bed as stiff as a board. He couldn't move any of his body, and he just laid there. When he came in, the nurse was there, and the nurse, not realizing he was a pastor, uh, looked at him and said, uh, I think this boy is suffering from too much religion. The pastor did not correct her. He began talking to the boy, and, and finally the boy began to open up that he was under loads of guilt from things that he had done. He was only 14, but he was on, under loads of guilt, and the pastor began to share with his boy forgiveness, and he began to share how Christ offers uh, forgiveness from the sin, and before he could even invite the boy to pray, the boy began to pray on his own. The boy asked Jesus to come into his life and forgive, us, uh, forgive him of his sins. When they finished praying, the, the pastor looked up to find the boy sitting on the edge of the bed, moving his legs freely. It was just guilt. And it was tormenting him. The boy exclaimed, I'm, I'm now free. Jesus has forgiven me. They walked out, and, uh, out of the room, and as they did, the, the nursing staff uh, was stunned by what took place. Now, Probably no one in here is in a paralyzed state physically. But maybe you are spiritually. Today's the day to release that guilt. Maybe you're, you're not a believer. You've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and that, that guilt is, is given to you by God to show you your sin. And without confessing it, then you will one day stand before a... a terrifying judge and he will say you are guilty but God's forgiveness is available to you as well maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're feeling that guilt you don't need to Jesus Christ has forgiven you of that sin and, and, and you do need to confess your sin to him but, but you need to live as if you are forgiven because you are and God that will give you the blessings that are available to you because of forgiveness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for all that you have shown us in this passage, and I pray that you help us to live as forgiven people. Lord, if there's any here that haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you will uh, help them to do that today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.